please do take a seat if I could just echo um, Neil's welcome. It is so lovely uh, to have you here with us um, this morning. I'm going to finish our studies in Ephesians this morning. We've been going through Ephesians. We've had 13 sessions on Ephesians. And what we've seen is that Paul has held up the church. He's tried to show us the significance of church, why church is important, why it can't just be me and God, but it has to be me and God and God's people. We saw that the first half is predominantly doctrine, what God has done for us in the Lord Jesus. And then chapters 4, 5, and 6 are what we must do now in response to that good news of Jesus who gave himself up for all of us. It's been pretty stretching at times. But I wonder if you could all stand up. And we'll see how we got on with listening to Ephesians. Stay standing. If this week you've made every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. If this week you can say, I have made every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. If there's nothing you could have done better, then stay standing. One model people. Stay standing if you've been completely humble. Stay standing if you've fully invested in using your gifts to do your part in making the body grow. Stay standing if you have put off falsehood and spoken nothing but the truth to your neighbor. Stay standing if you've gotten ridden, if you've gotten rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. Stay standing. If you haven't exasperated your children this week. Well, let's just say it's very difficult, isn't it? It's one thing turning up on a Sunday and listening to Ephesians. It's another thing putting Ephesians into practice during the week in our lives. Which leads to the question, why is church so hard? There was very little ambiguity in what Paul was telling us to do. It wasn't an understanding problem, it was a doing problem. So last week we listened to Paul and he exhorted particularly the husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And I went out of here and thought, this week, Aileen, you're going to get what you deserve, in a good way. So I'm going to love you as Christ loved the church. By Sunday lunchtime I hadn't done the washing up and it just failed miserably and retreated back into being quite a mediocre husband for a wonderful woman. There were some okay bits, but substandard would be the report card standing here on Sunday. Why is church so hard? We hear it, we go out with zeal to do it, and yet so often we fail to be the church that God has bought with the blood of his own son. Well, there's two things, isn't there, that we have a sinful nature. We're not perfect as we should be. The old self still rears its ugly head. We haven't totally put off what we once were. And we haven't yet put on what one day we will be. But chapter 6 says there's an enemy who is all about trying to spoil our walk with the Lord Jesus. Both individually and corporately. 
There is an enemy who hates you as a Christian and hates church as a group of Christians. There is a real enemy. Yes, we have a sinful nature, but the devil stands and strums the strings of our sinful nature to make us into a discordant dirge. Why is that? Well, because God has a plan, and his plan is that all things in the end will be brought to unity under the Lord Jesus. In the end. But in the present, there's a working model of that called the church, where groups of people saved by the Lord Jesus gather together where Jesus reigns. And as the devil looks at that model, he hates it. He hates it and will do anything possible to destroy it. Will leave no stone unturned. Every time he sees the church working, he's reminded of his ultimate end, which is a lake of fire and ultimate destruction. Do anything to sabotage God's perfect plan. See now in the local church. The devil's made a few shadowy appearances already in the letter. Chapter 2, verse 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. When you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. There's a real enemy. He's trying to get everyone to rebel. And those that aren't in the Lord Jesus are under his power and being led astray from the things of God. Chapter 4, verse 27. In your anger, do not sin, and do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Don't give the devil a way in to destroy the church. We have one who wants to lead us astray individually, and one who wants to divide the church corporately. Church is hard because there's a real enemy who hates you, if you know the Lord Jesus. And church is hard because there's a real enemy who hates us, who gather in the name of the Lord Jesus for his glory. Paul is therefore going to finish his letter very appropriately by talking about spiritual warfare. It's not that he thought, do you know what, I haven't really written about spiritual warfare to anyone yet, I should probably say something. Or I've got a little bit of paper left on the end of this papyrus and it would be a shame to leave it blank and I'm no good at drawing. He puts it in because it is the perfect end to make his readers aware that it is the devil who will ultimately destroy the model of the future seen presently in the local church. So if you've got a Bible, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Paul writes this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, 
with the belt of truth buckled round your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests, with this in mind. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might declare it fearlessly as I should. Take a curse The dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord will tell you everything so that you may also know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Let's pray and then we'll dig into this together. Father God, thank you that you're good. Thank you that you're strong. Thank you that you're mighty. But Lord, thank you that you're gracious. And you've condescended to write your word down for us. So Lord, we're here asking that that same spirit who inspired it to be written would come now and illuminate it for us. Give us soft hearts, diligent minds, Give us wills ready to be bent in accordance with yours. Father, may we leave here strengthened, trusting, and fully ready to stand on the Lord Jesus, for the Lord Jesus, for his glory. Amen. Three things I want us to see from this passage. First one is this. Switch on. Switch on. Switch on, you're in a battle. What Paul says here is that you are in a battle. And it's important that you know that. Ephesus knew the reality of a spiritual battle. If you read Paul's journey in Acts to Ephesus, you'll see that the powers of the gospel and the powers uh, of darkness collide. And we get this amazing account of the seven sons of Sceva who tried to jump on the Jesus bandwagon by casting out demons in Jesus' name. But because the seven sons of Sceva didn't know the Lord Jesus, the man who they tried to exercise stands up and beats them senseless and they go running from the house. Fear grips the place and there's an enormous bonfire of all the dark scrolls in the city that are literally worth millions of pounds. As people see that the gospel is more powerful and conquers the power of darkness. Paul says to the people in Ephesus, to us in Brunsfield, you're in a battle. There is a war waging in and through your lives. This battle is not a pitch battle on the streets of Edinburgh. This battle is taking place behind the earthly realm in the spiritual realm, in the heavenly places. And the good thing is that's good news. 
Why is that good news? Because Jesus rules over all the heavenly places. It's where he's seated. Chapter 1, verse 3. It's where he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Chapter 1, verse 20. It's where we're seated in him. Chapter 2, verse 6. The heavenly realms for the Christian are not a place of fear, but a place of security. That though the battle wages in the heavenly realms, there is one ruler of the heavenly realms and his name is Jesus. And that's good news. That means that this isn't good versus evil playing out in a cosmic realm and it could go one way or the other and we'll turn on the news every day to see who's winning today. This is a a war that's already won in the Lord Jesus through his incarnation, through his crucifixion, through his glorious resurrection and ultimate ascension to rule in those heavenly places. Paul's already prayed in chapter 1 verse 18 that the eyes of their heart would be open to see the way things really are. And we need to have our same eyes opened to see the way things really are. He says, switch on your inner war. Some of the more seasoned members of our congregation will have lived through a time of war. Will know what it's like to wake up with your country having to declare war on another country. Particularly thinking World War II, that overnight things changed. Everything changed. You had blackouts. Or if you failed to cover your windows properly, the military police would come and knock. You had rations. Where Asda wasn't a place of plenty, it was a place where your book determined exactly how much you were allowed to take. A place of air raids, where your sleep would be interrupted by this whining noise going up and down. And it meant even in your pyjamas you had to go to the nearest air raid shelter. You had to carry your gas mask with you. People in your village would go off to war. Some you wouldn't see again. War affects everything about our lives. And that's the same thing Paul is saying to us. We're in a war and it needs to inform us about how we live in prayer time, in war time. Three things I think we can see, that it's a defensive battle. This is more Zulu than it is charge of the light brigade. This is taking a stand. Look at verse 11. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Verse 13. Therefore put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand. Verse 14. Stand firm then. This is not onward Christian soldiers, onwards as to war. This is not in heavenly armour we'll conquer the land. This is a defensive battle because the war's already won. This is taking our stand on the gospel for the gospel and repelling the attacks of the evil one. The victory is won eternally, but the battle still rages in the present. Put on the full armour of God so you can stand. 
Stand firm. Stand tall. Stand true. Second thing we see is that we have no ability to fight this battle ourselves. We have no strength, no ability. None of us went to spiritual Sandhurst. This is not going to go well for us if we try and do it in our own strength. That's why he says, verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. It's a derived power. It's one we can't muster. It's not about going to boot camp. It's about standing with the Lord Jesus, for the Lord Jesus, in the power that the Lord Jesus so readily brings. It's not a call to search for the hero inside yourself. You're not trying to summon your inner Rambo. This is power coming from God by his grace through our faith. It's already said, dwell that the message of Christ dwell in you, that you might be strengthened by the gospel. It's a defensive battle. We need the Lord's strength. And finally, we have a cunning and ruthless enemy. Verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The devil's schemes. You don't just see him coming over the hill thinking, oh, there's our enemy. He's crafty and cunning. We read that he masquerades as an angel of light. He's the tempter. He's the accuser. He's the one who's prowling around looking for someone to devour. I don't know if you saw the news this week in Georgia with all the flooding and all the animals escaped. And they thought they had them all until one guy went into the warehouse of his workshop and there was a snow leopard. And it devoured him because he was alone. Creeping around in the darkness looking for a meal. That's the same idea. I think in the Western world, the sneakiness is in the apparent ambivalence we have. And in a poll, only 25% of people would say there is a real personal devil who hates Christians. That's even amongst the church. That our enemy is so cunning that he's managed to wear an invisibility cloak and is able to unhinderedly go about his business of stealing, killing, and destroying God's flock. Devil's purpose is to divide the church and wreck the model, lead people astray. Reject the Lord Jesus. Doesn't that help explain why when church goes bad, it goes so horribly bad? It almost seems to go nuclear when churches really go bad. And that's because it's not just people on people, but there is an enemy who delights in the destruction of the church. First thing we need to know from this passage, switch on. There is a real battle really going on in your lives. Number two, suit up, suit up, you're in a battle. Says repeatedly, put on the full armor of God, verse 11. Verse 13, put on the full armor of God. When you get serious about something, you buy the kit, don't you? When you get serious about something, you buy the kit. So I tried to take up running last year. Sports Direct was the shop I visited regularly to try and improve my performance. 
My cricket bag is full of loads of stuff that I never am in long enough to use properly. If you're a guitarist, buy a guitar and a case and a strap and a tuner, and then you buy a capo, and then you buy some music, because you're serious about it. Golfers are the worst, aren't they? If you're a golfer, you have all sorts of trinkets. You have loads of clubs, and the ball still bubbles along the floor, in my experience. You're going to war, you need to buy the kits. If you don't have the kit, particularly when it comes to war, you're putting your life in danger. That's what we learnt in 2013 from the Chilcot Inquiry, where they were sending British troops to the front line without sufficient body armour. Get suited up, get kitted out. And there's six items in the armour of God. Six items which are all the gospel applied to different areas of the body. Basically, in short, what he's saying is you need to be dressed in from head to toe in the gospel. That's what he's saying. You need to get suited up for the war that is waging. Paul is writing this in chains. So he's probably chained to a Roman soldier. So he has a very visible idea of what armor looks like. And notice that when you wear armor, particularly as a Roman soldier, it's not purely for defense and protection. It's also for identity and projection. That it's not only to keep you safe, but it's to show everyone who you are. You're a Roman soldier. You're the real deal. And I think we see that with the armor. That the things that he's saying are not just things that keep us safe, but are all things that we should project to a dark world. So he says, put on the belt, the undergarment of truth. That is both a doctrine that we rely on the truth of the gospel. But if you look back in chapter 5, verse 9, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. It's not just something we wear, but it's something we project. We stand on the truth of the gospel and it transforms us to be truthful people. The breastplate of righteousness, both a righteousness we get from the Lord Jesus, an alien righteousness. But back in chapter 5, verse 9, a fruit of the light consists of goodness and righteousness. That the righteousness we adopt leads to right living in and through our lives. Same for all of these gospel boots. If you're wearing boots, they're... There are two things you need your boots to do. They need to bring stability and agility. You need to be able to stand firm. Anybody who plays rugby knows this. You need to be able to stand firm, but you also need to be able to get around the field. There's no point having lead on the bottom of your feet. Both the stability to stand on the gospel, but the agility to apply it, particularly when there's times of conflict, because it is the gospel of peace. Shield of faith, this full-length shield that you can hide behind so that when the devil's arrows come and go, you can't really trust God for that. Oh, it is God that's got you into this mess. Ah, how could a good God let you lose your job this week? You hide behind that shield of faith. You say, God is good all the time and that faith extinguishes the accusations and the doubts thrown at us 
by the devil. Put on the helmet of salvation. Your helmet's very vital. We've all seen the war film, don't we? Haven't we, where there's a time of peace and people get a bit complacent and you see the guy whose head is above the line of sandbags, he takes his helmet off and the next moment it's introduced quite forcibly to a bullet. Helmet of salvation. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. If we want to see how the sword of the Spirit is wielded, then the Lord Jesus is a great example. He gets baptized, he's led into the desert by the Spirit. There he's tempted. Forty days without eating, and the devil says, why don't you turn these rocks into bread? And how does Jesus parry the attack? By quoting Deuteronomy, which most of us would struggle fully fed let alone having not eaten for 40 days. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word and that from the mouth of God. Parry, defend, riposte. But also it is the word, the sword of the spirit is the only attacking instrument. Because it is God's word. It is the gospel shared and responded to, which breaks people out of darkness which rescues people from their shackles to the prince of the power of the air that leads to disobedience. So we are standing, but we're taking every opportunity to share this word in order that it might penetrate the darkness and rescue many. Suit up. Put on the full armor of God. But no, this isn't just an individual thing. Because as we think about Roman soldiers, their favorite battle formation was called the testudo, which is literally Latin for tortoise. And they would line up like this, where everybody had a part to play. Some people shields at the front, shields at the side, shields at the back, shields over the top. And it's the reason they were managed to be so successful in military conquest, because they were all tightly packed together, moving forward together and were utterly impenetrable. Kind of Wellington did it 200 years ago with his squares. But they were impenetrable because they all had everyone else's backs. And therefore, when we put on the full armor of God, it's not just you taking responsibility for yourself, but it's you seeking through your armor to protect everyone else, to be a close-knit unit standing firm against the one who hates us. The devil. Lastly, verses 18 to 20, cry out. Cry out. Verse 18, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. For which, I am, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might declare it fearlessly as I should. If you're in a battle, communication is key. Staying together is key. You have radio operators everywhere, radioing back to high command to know where they're supposed to be doing what they're supposed to be doing. And Paul here is saying in our spiritual battle, crying out is vital. Crying out to God in whose power we're standing. Notice how comprehensive it is, verse 18. On all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests, always alert for all people. 
closely knitted communication for absolutely everyone. It doesn't matter if you're the best soldier in the world. You still need to be part of an army, which means that you need to be communicating with everybody else. Paul's so conscious of this that he's in prison, but he's still praying that they might, he's still asking that they would pray for him so that every opportunity he might fearlessly proclaim the gospel. Stand with me in prayer, he's saying. Not just withstanding, but winning people through the proclamation of the gospel. I was in Sky last week. It was lovely, except for one thing. Sky sucks for mobile reception. It's awful. I thought I'd come back across the bridge and I'd get loads of text messages. It didn't happen. I wasn't as popular as I dreamed. Paul here is saying, stay online with God all the time. Don't let your reception, don't let your communication be hindered ever. That if you're going to stand firm with the Lord Jesus on the gospel of the Lord Jesus for the glory of the Lord Jesus, you need to stay connected. You need to pray all the time for all the people in all kinds of ways that they would stand to. And that as this taught us, we might stand firm and go forward together. Isn't it interesting that Paul says, verse 19, my natural tendency is to be afraid of evangelism. But left to myself, I would be fearful and would not make known the mystery of the gospel. Well, Paul's saying that, and I dare say it's true for all of us, that we're all actually scaredy cats. When opportunities come, it is the sweat going down the back. It is every inclination of ourselves to stay quiet. And when fear comes, prayer must rise. Prayer must rise for ourselves. But if we can include others and get them to be praying for us as well, that we might have opportunity and we might take opportunity. What a glorious stand we can take. It's a very dense chapter. It's one that says, switch on. You're in a war against an enemy who hates you and hates the church of Jesus Christ. He says, suit up. Apply the gospel from head to toe because it is that where your power will come from. And he says, cry out. That when you're a weak and afraid when you're cowering in a trench, the time is to pray. Pray continuously for yourself and for everyone else. Brunsfield, we're in a war. And I'm so thankful as I look out on the ranks of the people I get to fight here with that you're included in this battalion, shall we pray? Father God, thank you that Jesus is one forever. That through his death, through his perfect life, through his unending grace, we get to be on that winning team. But Lord, we're so conscious that in the present this battle rages. That there's a ruthless enemy who knows his time is short, who would love to devour us and destroy this church. And so Lord, I pray we would be wise. Father, that we would be strong in your mighty power. Father, that we would be fully kitted out with the gospel. 
that we would be continuously putting on the whole armor of God so there wouldn't be a weakness, there wouldn't be a chink in the armor where the devil can play a mark and lead us astray. And Father, we want to declare our absolute dependence on you, so we pray you would make us a prayerful people, that we would continuously cry out to you for strength, continuously cry out to you for wisdom, continuously cry out to you for opportunity, and continually cry out to you for courage, that we might, as Paul prayed, fearlessly proclaim the mystery of the gospel, that you might be pleased to save many. Through our witness. Amen.